Please stand for the reading of God's word. As has been the case for the last few weeks, this is a longer passage, so uh, the text will be projected on the screen behind me in case that helps you follow along. From Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18, 21 and 22, and chapter 14. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahirath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, this not, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you this day. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. 
And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire, uh, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. And all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome again. I'm Travis, I'm the pastor here. Thanks for being with us today, uh, particularly if you are visiting for one reason or another. Glad to have you with us. We've got some friends from Philly in the house. Welcome to you all as well. If you're just visiting, if you're just moving to town, just passing through, uh, glad to have you with us in the presence of God and his people this morning. Um, before we get in to our passage, I just want to acknowledge today that this is certainly a difficult time internationally with the war in Israel and Palestine. Uh, I want to say that uh, I'm grieving with you for any loss of life or pain that you're connected to there. And I want to acknowledge today that we are talking about ancient Israel being in conflict with Egypt. Uh, a country of the Arab world as part of God's redemptive plan at that time to rescue all of us eventually in Jesus from darkness and in death. That's what he was doing then. I don't know what he's doing now. I would encourage us to refrain from guessing or from assuming that we know, that we know uh, but to ultimately be a people that are for life, for safety, for healing, uh, for the kind of flourishing that God alone brings so I'm going to ask you specifically as we talk about these things today to not hear me saying something about the international conflict through this sermon because I am not and I'm not trying to. Uh, but I know it's in the background and I do pray for peace. I would encourage us to all pray for lasting peace. But we are continuing our series in the book of Exodus that we've been calling Out of Darkness into Light, focusing on the ways that God delivers his people from, at that time, the darkness of soul-crushing oppression, slavery, and genocide into the light of a dignified, valuable, free life with him. 
And we're looking at that so that we might see the ways in our own time, in our own lives, that God delivers us out of the darkness that, that surrounds us, that's in us, into the light of life and relationship with him. And last time, uh, we focused on, in the Passover, the ways that God draws us close to him when he saves. That he actually moves closer when it's time to deliver us. And he also not just moves close to us, but gives us things to draw us in. That God's heart is for us to have things to do to participate in the redemption that he works in our lives and our world. No matter who we've been, no matter what past we have, he invites us to come in and participate. And this week we're looking at the first steps that Israel takes outside of slavery. The first things that they do when they are a free people, walking now in the light of the freedom that God has given them, and, and they are troubled steps. This is a difficult first few weeks and days for them. But we're going to see the ways that God continues to step in for them time and again over these next few weeks amidst some challenges. And there are challenges that this week in particular, the text says explicitly that God brought their way. It's not just something that he let happen. It's something that God said was going to happen by his power. And so in looking at that, I want us to look at, at what happens in these times when God brings challenges into our lives and what that tells us about who God is by looking at two things, God taking people to the edge and the God who meets you there. So that's the two things we'll talk about through this text is the God who takes you to the edge and the God who meets you there. Before we do that, let me invite you to, to bow your heads and pray with me. Let's ask God to fill up our hearts and our time as we open his word. God, we acknowledge that there are difficult, painful things going on in our world right now, which we have no control over. Uh, we also acknowledge that there are many things in our lives, in our particular uh, community, that we have no control over. Things that we wish were different in our relationships, in our health, in our finances, in our jobs, in our school. There, there are so many things, God, where we feel like maybe we are at or very near the edge. And so I pray that you would come in this morning, that you would be present, that you would be active just as you were for your people way back then, that you would be near our hearts, that you would be showing us who you are, even as we are there at the edge, that you would be the God who meets us there. And so I pray that you would do that in the way that only you can by the power of your spirit this morning, that these hearts might hear you and your voice and know that you are still the one who pursues them, even out to the edge. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's start looking at how God takes us uh, to the edge. If you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If not, there should be one in the pew in front of you, or you can always just listen along, as the church always has. But, but God's people were leaving Egypt on a high. They were feeling pretty good. Uh, they, they had their hands held high, is what the original text says. Our translation, verse 8 of chapter 14, says, defiantly. That's trying to capture what the Hebrew was saying about a, a hand upraised, a strong hand. It's an expression of strength. Uh, they left feeling good and powerful for a number of reasons. For the first time in 430 years, they were free people. They didn't belong to anyone. No one was a master over them. They were just free. Their God had just defeated for them, without them doing anything, the greatest military power in their time and place. 
God's spoken dignity to them as these newly freed slaves. He doesn't just set them free and say, there you go, don't want to see any more, you're welcome. He engages with them in relationship. He speaks dignity to them in the Passover, again, inviting them to be part of, to participate in the deliverance that he was working for them, not to be observers, but to be participants, to have a part to play. And on top of all that, the text says that the Egyptians were sending them out with wealth, with gold, with treasures, just as God has promised. These are things that would make you feel very good about life. Dramatic, positive changes in your world. And yet God leads them fairly quickly from that hands-held-high moment back to challenge. Back to the edge of themselves because Egypt, the enemy that they thought was gone, was forgotten, had been put down completely, now comes back into view in a terrifying way, trying to hunt them down in the wilderness. They're not in their homes anymore. They don't know where they are. They're not familiar with this place. It would be incredibly stressful for them. And it's a test that God says he's not just going to let happen, but verse 4, he's going to make it happen. He's going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh does this exact thing, this exact thing so, that, so that Israel be pushed literally to the edge of the sea and maybe to the edge of their wits. Why would God do that? Why does he lead them into an amazing thing, give them this spiritual high, and then right on the other side of that, lead them back to something super stressful? He does it for at least two reasons that we're going to talk about this morning, the first of which he makes very clear in the text, and we'll spend our time on that first one at this point, and we'll get to the second point, uh, to the other one in the second point. But the first reason that God leads his people, the text says, to the edge of themselves, the reason he leads Pharaoh to hunt them down with the full power of his remaining army and ultimately be defeated in that, the text says, verse 4 and verse 18, is so that the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord when he has gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. That's why he's going to do this. Part of their stress, part of their going to the edge of themselves is actually not about them. It's not about them. It's about Egypt. God's letting his people be stressed and challenged for the sake of someone else. It's not about them. And sometimes that's important for us to hear in our Christian lives, that sometimes the stress and the difficulty that you are facing is not about you. You're in it, it's hard, it's painful, it's stressful, and it may not be about you. God's doing this not so that Israel would know him. Israel has already known him. He's doing this, the text says, so that Egypt, those that he has just spent time dismantling their entire society and oppressive power against his people, so that those people would know him. So that someone else might have relationship with him too, even if that meant stress for his people. He still wants to know those people, those oppressive people, those mean people, those cruel people, those distant people. Even in their brokenness, God is still thinking about them. 
He's just spent all this time teaching them painful lessons about who he is when you are oppressive and unjust, and yet he is still thinking about them. He hasn't just written them off. He hasn't just pushed them away. He still sees a future for them, even though they've gotten everything wrong. I mean, I could just stop there. Isn't that good news for you and I when our lives break down? When if you replay the tape of your life, you've been that person. You've been that, unsel- that selfish, unkind, rude, mean, difficult person. Even worse than that, when you have hurt others, when you've abused, whatever it is, isn't it good news that God is still thinking about you when you are a mess? God's not waiting for you to be good people to start thinking about you. He still thinks about you when your life is wrong, when everything is going wrong. And because he's still thinking about them, he's going to do things to show them fully who he is, but to do that, he's going to have to do something difficult with them, not just with Israel. He's going to have to take away the very last pieces of the things in their life that made them comfortable and powerful. He has to show them in a difficult way, leading them to the edge of themselves as a society, taking away their remaining political power, their remaining military power, that he is God. That's what he's doing here. The last remnant of comfort and control left after their economic collapse, after ecological disaster, after widespread disease and death, God is going to take away the last thing that they would hold on to. The last sense of pride, the last sense of power and control, that we still have this military. We can still do these things. We still say what happens in our lives. We are still in control. Even though we've lost, we've lost all these other things. God's going to show them who he is by taking away the very last things that they would have held on to as comforting and powerful. Sometimes this is what God does in our lives. He shows us who he is by taking away what has been powerful and comforting to you in your world. He takes it away. Possibly even the very last thing that feels comforting in your life. Sometimes he leads you into uncertainty and instability and even pain to show you who he is, but he intends to do that not to hurt you, but so that you might have something more in knowing him. He wants you to know him. And whatever is in the way of you knowing him, whether that's your health, whether that's a relationship, whether that's money, whether that's status, whether that's jobs or approval, whatever is in the way of you seeing what will ultimately make your life flourish and be on fire with the peace and the grace of God, he will, if it requires that, take that thing away. Not to punish you, but to meet you out there to meet you in the darkness that you haven't recognized is actually darkness, in the emptiness that you haven't yet seen is empty, in the futility that you haven't recognized you've just been spinning your wheels trying to do the same things over and over again, getting the same result, which is not working. He wants to meet you out there. 
because it's where you have to go if you're ever going to know him. Out there, into the wilderness, at the edge of yourself, where things are not comfortable and you are not powerful and you are not in control. Because it's only when you are in that place where what you've relied on to let you feel control, to let you feel powerful, to let you feel like you're setting your own destiny, it's only there in that place when those things are taken away that you can see for the first time that they don't have the power you thought they had. That they're not quite as strong as you thought they were. They're not as enduring. That they're not as broad as you thought they were. They don't cover everything. They don't account for everything. That there are things that they or you miss. That they, that they don't last and that they take so much from you to just not last. They require more than you want to give to give you less than they promised. It's when you're out there, when they're taken away, that you can finally start to see that these things aren't what we thought they were going to be for us. But our text is leading us to see if those things are not taken away at times, if they weren't taken away for Egypt, then they would not see who God is. There wasn't some other way. There wasn't this third kind of happy medium where a little bit of difficulty comes and then a little bit of help and a little bit of... Sometimes there is only the difficult way to get to God. Sometimes there isn't another way. But God is going to be sure that if there is only one way to do it, that he is going to put you on that path, no matter how difficult it is, so that you might know him. And yet it's very difficult to be in that place. It's very difficult to be at the edge. We don't like God taking away the things that we have idolized and put our hope in to help us. We don't want to be like Egypt. We don't want to be caught without an army, sitting in the ruins of a decimated society with no power and feeling like we have no future. We don't like that. Egypt would not have liked that. But to know God more fully, we have to step beyond. You have to go out there with him to the edge of what you have trusted in that you might see maybe for the first time beyond the horizon of what you thought was possible. That there is a way in which God is changing your view of the world that that in holding on to these power structures, these controls, this sense of approval, this sense of identity, whatever it is, that you have made the spiritual world flat. And you feel like if you get to the edge of that flat world, just like sailors thought hundreds of years ago, that you would just fall off the edge and God is trying to show you it is round. And what you have thought is the end is not the end. It keeps going. But you have to go to the edge to find that out. You have to go to the edge to be able to let go of the illusion and take hold of a much better truth, even though it hurts and even though it's scary. The good news of Exodus is that God will take you there. God doesn't wait for Pharaoh to say, yes, okay, I think I'm interested in that. I would like to check out the edge. Can you take me there? He doesn't wait for that to happen. He just says, I'm going to push you. I'm going to take you there. I want you to see that when God means for you to know him, he is going to show you who he is. He's going to do what it takes for you to know him. It doesn't depend on you for you to really see what he is like. 
He may have to take everything away. You would not choose that for yourself. He will help you make the choice you would not make for yourself. He will do what needs to be done. He will meet you out there. He will bring you out there so that you might meet with him. Are you willing to go out there? Are you still sitting at home more excited about that flat earth spirituality that feels like I know this, this feels comfortable, this is where I want to be, I don't want to go to the edge? Or is God starting to do things in your life to make you hungry for something beyond that? For something that does feel like it actually works, like it actually meets you, like he actually would be the one you want to meet you out there. What would it be like to meet God in that way? Who is the God that meets you out there? I want to talk about our second point here, the God who meets you there. It's going to take a minute of of preparation to get to talk about what he's like out there, but we have to first go back and talk about a second group of people that he brought to the edge, which is Israel. Because it's for Egypt to know God, as we've said, that Israel is brought to the edge. They're brought to the end of their wits. But it's through Israel, even though it's for Egypt, it's through Israel that we and Israel and Egypt see what God is like. Because Israel was certainly feeling the strain of God bringing them to the edge. They're clearly wondering who this God really is that's brought them out there and if they made a mistake in trusting him. He, he was really powerful and strong in Egypt and yet what's going on now? Why the disconnect between who you were, you had this power, you had this control, and now you're letting these same people that you just spent all this energy putting down chase us out. You can hear just how afraid they are. Verse, verse 10 says they're very afraid. Verses 11 and 12 show you more of that fear in their voice. It says, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? That is a really dark thing to say. What have you done to us in bringing us out here? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. They are really afraid. Slavery sounds more appealing to them than this. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine wanting to choose slavery over what's facing you? Maybe you can. These are words of fear and panic. And of course they're afraid. Of course they're panicking. We would panic too. The enemy they thought was gone, the thing that you thought was not a problem in your life, is now come roaring back as a problem. And now they're not in their homes. They're somewhere strange. More than that, they've got their back to a sea that they can't cross with all their kids around them. Parents, if you think it's difficult on Sunday mornings with our kids in the pews, and it is, imagine the difficulty in your mind of thinking there's an army facing me and I have nowhere to go. You are panicking. You are not feeling good. They're not trained. They have nowhere to hide. They are recently freed, formerly enslaved people out in the open facing the world's greatest army at that time. You and I would be panicking. This is a time to panic, right? You now have permission to panic. That's the, that's the feeling that would come along with these things. They'd naturally be wondering, is God going to show up out here? Is he still that same God back there, out here in this new situation? Is, is he that saving God over here too? Is he still for us, or is he now going to let us down? 
Is it now going to turn out to be too good to be true? That's a lot of what happens in our lives when we run into things that we didn't expect. When, when we're hurting, when there is pain, we start to think, was this just all a big waste of time? I thought this is the guy that you were, things were going well, or you helped me in times past, but what's going on now? Is it now the time that I find out you weren't who I thought you were? It's an honest wrestling. And they're doing more than wrestling. They're not just wondering. They're effectively saying, God, you're not that person. And maybe you've done that too. Maybe you've had that moment of saying, you are not who you said you were. This is not the way that things are supposed to go. You must not be that God or this wouldn't have happened to me. Maybe you've been there. You've effectively said, God, you must not be God or you wouldn't have let that come into my life. You wouldn't have taken that thing out of my life. You wouldn't have taken that person out of my life. You wouldn't have let me lose this. You wouldn't have let me make that decision or walk into this circumstance. You must not be good or loving or strong if this is happening to me. That is a very natural response to pain. The Psalms are full of that. I don't don't want you to hear me saying that you can't talk to God like that. Scripture says that is how you talk to God when these things are happening. You are real. You are raw. You're telling him what's on your heart. You're honest about these things. Even if that's saying that you feel like he's not there. There are plenty of Psalms that say, God, where are you? Why are you not here? These are ways that we can talk to God, even if it's to say, God, I don't, I don't think you are who you said you are. But the challenging reality of, of Exodus is that, that God brought this about. This stress, this, this challenge is not happening because God was absent or weak or did not care. He brought them there on purpose. It's by his power that this is allowed to happen so that they might see more of God too. Not just Egypt. God is so often doing so much more than we can see or imagine. We think he's thinking about this one thing or that's all that we're thinking about. And God's like, I am thinking about so many more things. I have more that I want to do than just for them or just for you. I want to do things for all of you. He wasn't done showing his own people who he was yet. It's not like, you know me now and I'm done showing you who I am. No, there were more things that God wanted to show him, show them. Even if it would, like with Egypt, require him to take away some things that made them feel comfortable or powerful or safe. He was going to do that. To show them that he is God out there too. The same God that was unmatched in power in Egypt is the same God that is unmatched in power out there in the wilderness when you have your back to the sea and an army in front of you and you don't know what to do. When you are between the cloud and the darkness and it feels like everything is about to fall apart. see, as they leave Egypt and head out into the wilderness, head towards the new home that he's going to give them, he wants them to know he is not just powerful back there. He is not just God for you in the past. He is not just God in certain cities, in certain circumstances, with certain people. He is God out there as well as over here. He is the same God who always makes a way when there is no way. 
even between the sea and an army, even between walls of water, even if it feels like it's all going to collapse and it would have been better to just die where you were in chains, even then, when you can't see what he is doing, he will stand between you and the darkness so that it can't attack you. Verse 19 and 20. He will let you walk away alive and free, safe and untouched, even if it takes a miracle. Verse 21 and 22. He will swallow the threats whole and wash the enemy's violence that was meant for you instead against them, against the seashore. Verses 23 through 28. This is what he brought them to the edge of themselves to see. That he is God out there too. He's God when it's all falling apart again. Again. When it's all falling apart again. He is God out there too. We might wonder for ourselves, you know, if it's not an army and it's not death, if it's just me and my issues, if it's just me and my family and my friends and breakdown in those long-term relationships that I've really enjoyed, if it's just me and how things are going right now at school or at work, if it's just my sin even, my mistakes and my failures, if it really is just my own junk, will God be God for me out there too? Will he stand between me and all that, between, between the cloud and the darkness? Will he swallow all that up for me or was that just for, for them? Is that just for somebody else? Is that just for the special people, just for the chosen people, just for those people who have been doing X, Y, or Z? Will you make a way for me then, God? That's an honest question. That's a question that I've had many times, and you've probably had. It's a question that God answers much more fully at the cross, because in Exodus, you might be wondering, is this just for this one people, just for Egypt? just for Israel, just for, just for an ancient people. But God's pointing towards something more, towards a greater exodus at the cross where he's going to answer the question that we're asking, will you be there for me with an emphatic yes, that yes, he will stand between you and your sin. Yes, he will swallow it whole when it's chasing you down. Yes, he will let you walk out alive even when you've been living in the wrong because he says, Isaiah 49, it would be too small a thing to only save one people. He intends to be God out there. Beyond these walls, beyond our city, beyond our country, through the whole world and down through time, he intends to be God out there even to redeem oppressors. To change oppressors. To change those of us who have gotten it wrong. And the cross says he does that by taking himself to the edge. 
by taking our oppression on himself, letting it swallow him whole, letting it wash his body against the shore under God's judgment and justice, taking away all of his comforts, all the things that would make him feel safe and loved and powerful so that our sin would die with him out there at the edge, rightly judged where it's wrong, and yet we who were wrong would live instead of die. Because the truth is, God takes you to the edge to show you in the cross he was always going to be there ahead of you. He was always going to go out there with you. Even in Exodus, they are not alone at the edge. He is with them at the edge. The angel and the pillar move in front of them. At no time is God intending to send you out to the edge by yourself. No, the cross shows us that he means to go there first. He means to go there in a final way where the edge doesn't break you. It lets what is broken in you be taken off, changed and exchanged for something better, for knowing him. Because in Christ, God makes a way when to our eyes there is just no way. By going out there to the edge ahead of you, so that he would be God for us even out there. That's the God who meets you at the edge. The God who makes a way. And like in Exodus, all you have to do, like Moses says, verse 14, is be silent. To come to the edge of yourself, to let whatever you have leaned on as comfortable or powerful, to save you on your own terms, to let it just be taken away and to let him work on something new. To let him take away the illusion so that you can see the light, that he is God out there. He goes out there with you. He saves you at the edge by going to the edge himself. You don't have to be the power. Let him work. So by way of application, then, I want to encourage you to do two things in light of this God who meets us out there at the edge, even if he takes us there. And I want to encourage you to to find the edge and to take hold. First, find the edge. Where is God bringing you to the edge in your life? Where are you bumping up against some things where you're starting to recognize that God might be at work in that? Where you're facing the erosion of something that's been powerful, comfortable, predictable in your life? What if that's the place that he wants to meet you? Not the place to run from. Our society is built around running away from pain, making things more comfortable, more controllable, more predictable, never having to be in a spot where you're hurting and can't change that. And God does not ultimately want us to hurt. The new heavens and the new earth are about the absence of that. But if it, if it means holding on to you, if it means you knowing him, that he may take you to that place. Does he want to meet you there right now? Are you running from the very place that God most wants to meet with you? It's an incredibly hard thing, and I don't want to pretend like it's not, but, but does he want to meet you there? Ask him where he is in that thing, where you're feeling at the edge, what he may want to reveal to you about his power and grace. Find the edge 
And second, take hold of this, that he is God out there. He is in control of this right now. He is in control of your past and your future. There's no time in which he stops being God. It may look very different to us. It may look very stressful and painful and crushing to us, but he is no less God there than he was back there. And he is only doing that to make a way, even for you, And if he is going to do it anyway, if all we have to do, like Moses says, is be silent and let him work, if he's going to do it anyway, why not enjoy that he is going to do it? It doesn't depend on you. Your worrying won't change it. You are free to worry. Your work won't change it. His work will. Why not take hold of and lean into the fact that he is going to be God out there? that he is going to address it in the way that he knows will lead to life for you and for them. Lean into that. I want to give you an example of how I want you to do this. I used to work for the federal government. We've recently had some rumors that there might be shutdown, maybe a shutdown would come again. I worked during a shutdown. I was furloughed. And for a while, I was very stressed because I didn't know if we were going to get back pay for that time. And then I heard that we were going to get back pay for that time. And my whole attitude changed. I leaned into the sweatpants. I got very comfortable thinking no matter what happens, they've committed to pay for the time that I am out. I can just be silent and let the Lord work. And so I want you to adopt a bit of a sweatpants theology, yes, to letting God work, to get comfortable in that because he has made these promises in scripture that he is going to do this for you he is going to work can you get a little more comfortable in that lean into that in a little bit in a small way this week what's one small way that you could just lean into the fact that he is going to take care of it even if the only way you do that is to put it on a post-it note that you read for one second and then think i can't think more about that it's too hard to believe that's progress Whatever the progress is towards getting comfortable, towards, towards putting on the sweatpants of confidence in God, do that because he's going to be out there with you no matter what. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little space for you to reflect in your own heart about what God's putting on, on your mind, on your heart through these things. Invite you maybe to thank God for, for being out there with you for going out to the edge himself to meet you there. Or maybe confess the ways that that you don't want that that power, that comfort, that good thing, that control taken away and that, that maybe you'd feel like slavery is better than this. Ask God to meet you out there. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would hear these prayers and answer. In your son's name and by your spirit, we pray. Amen.